Greetings Grapple fans, it must be the middle of January because we've broken a promise and by we, I mean, you let me tell you something co-host Lorcan Mullen and then your other let me tell you something co-host Cybercross because what you're getting is a thing that we promised we'd never do again but we thought, out with the old, in with the new in 2024 we had one little scrap of 2023 still to discuss and it's such a strange situation we thought we've got to give it a bit more leeway to discuss in potentially a slightly longer form than we will when this series gets updated and by this series i mean the Meltzer five star project simon we're doing it one last time we're talking about only one match next episode we'll cover four and then after that we will go to our five matches per five star episode yeah but simon for one last time for only one time where are we when are we and who are we discussing? So, the veritable half-eaten box of Quality Street, which we're all about to scoff down audibly for you. It takes place at Full Gear on the 18th of November, 2023. Last year, still says, still weird saying last year for 2023. And it's Hangman Adam Page, who got annoyed when Swerve broke into his house, and therefore technically made it whose house? Swerve's house? That's the one. <laughs> oh, you. Lorcan was in two minds there. Whether to leave me high or dry. Or go for it. And he, he sort of lived in both worlds simultaneously. I was trying to think of some sort of way to crowbar in a Noel's house party reference. <laughs> oh my god. Swerve's house party is something that needs to happen. <laughs> Blobby is taking wrestling bookings after all. <laughs> and how bad, how bad do you want to see Mr. Blobby... Dance with Prince Nana. <laughs> well, Swerve Strickland's who we're talking about, because he didn't give the full... Although, is Shane still listed as his name in any way, shape, or form, or is he just Swerve Strickland? Probably now? an alumni on the old roster page. Wasn't he Isaiah Strickland? Isaiah Swerve Strickland in NXT. The fact that we can't remember his NXT name suggests something in and of itself. It doesn't matter. And the reason it doesn't matter is 2023, I think, was his coming out year. And this is the uh, piece de resistance, I feel. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I thought it's a shame that because of the situation where I just flipped my lid and I said, we're not doing this anymore, was when Melzer was handing out five stars, just like Arthur Fortune giving out (laughs) coins from his hot air balloon. No, 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 no. Mr. Burns. Um, oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm mixing the two up. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. I'm very passionate about this. <sighs> yeah, that's not what we're here for. But two people who are passionate about fighting each other were Hangman Page and Swerve Strickland. Well, it's funny that you said about the quality street, because if something was consumed in this match, and it certainly wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it might have yeah. had a bit of a metallic sugary taste to it, depending on, you know. If it had a sugary taste, you should see a doctor. <laughs> You know the comedian Patrice O'Neill? Do you know how we found out he was diabetic? Uh, he's <laughs> one of those ones where it's just like, you know you're in trouble when the girl you're with points out that your piss smells like birthday cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seek help. 
just the implication of why was she oh no yeah we're talking about this match because uh, as i was saying i was like i was so fed up and melts was just dishing out five stars and now at the time of recording he has just given out two more five star plus ratings in 2024 but at that point i thought well we'll probably get there's a decent chance we'll get one more five star if we do the five of them in 2023 before the end of it because Meltzer didn't give out any more five stars for the last two months of 2023. We came very close. We came... We'll, we'll always come close. Every week we'll come close. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely thought he'd pulled the trigger on a couple, but... Yeah. There you go. Like I said, I just thought it was a nice, full closing of the lid. Let's get every part of 2023 out of the way. And for what these guys do, they maybe deserve a little bit extra attention. And Swerve is a debutante in this series. This is one of those instances where my overall feelings of the match were every problem I had with it I think is valid. And every criticism I have for it is valid. But it's also one of those moments where you also have to accept that in general your criticisms, as valid as they might be, mean nothing. Because everything that they really set out to achieve... They seem to have achieved, even if it's not in the method that I want them to, or that I enjoy experiencing. And I know I'm going to sound like bitter old Jim Cornette, and this match was an experience. I'm actually going to say I'm not going to rate it. It's not that I'm not going to rate it five stars, I'm not going to rate it, because I don't quite know how to rate this, because this is like a form of wrestling I do not have a lot of experience with watching because I haven't sought it out. I have seen stuff that could be counted as freak shows and like... When I do do my list of 40 favourite wrestling matches at some point this year, there's a decent chance at least one sort of freak show match might be in that one, which would be Samoa Joe against Necro Butcher. But my key point is that, like, there's nothing in this match that I enjoyed more than the spot I've already said before in their Wrestle Dream match, where Swerve Strickland avoided a buckshot lariat by executing a drop toehold. But that, that's my first point of where I'm at with this match before I go into praising elements of it. If you want to get what I like in wrestling right now, it's more innovative ways of doing a drop toehold than blood, guts and violence on display. But that's obviously what the intention was with this match. I'm in a bit of a similar boat with you in terms of, I think previously before when we've talked about deathmatch style stuff, there's always been an element of gratuitousness to it. It's just excessive. It's just needless. Because of how they framed this specific match, it simultaneously is and isn't gratuitous. I fully agree with where you're at, uh, to be honest, because I struggled on the rewatch. So this is, I've watched this now twice before we recorded, just to peel the curtain back a little bit. Once a couple of days after the pay-per-view, because unfortunately I couldn't watch it live. And once, as, as long-time listeners will know, within two hours of recording this. But there we are. So I've had to go with how it, I felt the first time round. But I'm adding the cold light of day lens of the second viewing to it, and including with some of the criticisms I might have. So I think we're going to be broadly on the same page with this. And I'm interested because you said criticism's plural. I think I've condensed all of mine into one, maybe one and a half. So I'd like to hear what your first criticism is, please. Okay, well, my first criticism is at various points I was wondering, is the intention of this match to make Swerve Strickland a babyface? 
Because there are spots in this that I would relate to a baby face that Swerve was doing. And there were spots in it that Hangman was doing that at times you could even equate to being... I, I almost wondered, are we doing a double turn here? So there are spots like, it starts off with Hangman Page just beating the shit out of Swerve. And there's Babyface Shine, and then they're stapling someone in the nipple. (laughs) (laughs) And when Swerve makes his big comeback, there are moments when it's because Prince Nana interferes. Or Brian Cage even interferes. But there's other moments where it's like Swerve finding a new level of bravery within it like he does like a sting hulking up against rick flair chopping him in the chest but it's getting staples done to his chest and hangman page is backing up and it's like i guess the story can be swerve is entering this world and he's thriving in it and it's funny ultimately the tradition of death matches with an aew suggests that at some point in the near future a babyface swerve strickland is going to be involved in another death match against someone else for whom this is a new environment for them and maybe they'll put them over but another one of the problems i had as well was some of the weapons fell within my issue with my rule for me of good weapon use in wrestling and that is i feel like you should only employ a weapon in wrestling that you can use your full force with it and it works within the context of the match that was always my issue with triple h using a sledgehammer because you can't utilize a sledgehammer at full force within the context of a wrestling match and it not resulting in death well, yeah, you'd turn into one of Idiomine's henchmen, wouldn't you? Whereas a steel chair, a Singapore cane, a table, you can use full force or give the, the believable use of full force behind your move. You're not holding back. Yeah. And I'm sorry, cinder blocks don't disintegrate when you smash them into someone. They are if they're cinder blocks that are used to smuggle a certain substance. Yeah. Now I'm not suggesting we should rename him Swerve Escobar, but I'm I'm just pointing out how powders work, alright? So those are moments that take me out of it. Mm. And like they use the cinder block so well with the first spot with him doing a Death Valley driver onto it. And then they have the unfortunate freak occurrence where the cinder block falls off the from the apron to the matted floor. A chunk of it's able to be broken off anyway. And subsequent to this match, Swerve has essentially become face without officially turning face. The way that he's been booked in the Continental Classic that's been his follow-up after this. They booked him as strong as you possibly can without winning the tournament. He goes through his block with a 5-1 and one record is one loss to John Moxley, and he beats the guy that beats John Moxley, and then they have the triple threat match to decide who goes through, and he is not involved in taking the fall. So he literally has fewer losses coming out of the Continental Classic than anyone in that tournament. Yeah. Despite being knocked out of the I don't know, the playoff set or the semifinals or however you want to look at it. He lost in the wildcard round. Yeah, essentially. But without even... If the wildcard round was three different teams taking place at the same <laughs> NFL time. Triple Threat coming to you in 2015. Now, because we're doing a little like naughty and not doing this as soon as it came out, nor in the block of... Because one of the reasons we wanted to do the block of five is to add reflection. So we're in a bridging period now. Because since this match, obviously we've seen Swerve at the next pay-per-view as well, where they, they kind of crap the bed from a booking perspective well sort of didn't didn't yeah but i think they really want to keep swerve as a heel because he's still doing really heelish things and he, he could never the way he is he could never be a white meat baby face and that whole concept sort of like 
in the ether anyway. But I think from a booking perspective, he would still be listed as heel. But the crowd just aren't having it. Because you have to remember, the preamble for this match was that he broke into uh, Hangman's house and, like, you know, didn't threaten his kid. He basically gave his kid a present. He's basically Black Santa, Mm. (laughs) just more menacing. So it's meant to have this hyper-personal angle, like you were meant to be like so on Hangman's side. And they cut, like the, the crowd's 50-50-ish. Yeah, but the crowd actually doesn't feel like it's that energised at the start. I think partly because they start off just immediately, because Hangman Page doesn't do the whole entrance. He just runs out and starts beating the shit out of him. And what was the moment, I made a note of when the, the crowd actually became more alive in it they were just sort of very early on he's hitting oh yeah like almost immediately he hits him with a buckshot lariat as a statement of this ain't gonna be your conventional hangman page match he's already hit his finishing move and now it's just some something extra i mean it's also it seems to work within the character evolution of this hangman page he looks a bit heavier and he's got a thicker beard mm. and like he, he turns to the crowd after he's got uh swerves hands all st- uh, stuck together and the crowd is pretty reserved up until the point where And this is a spot people will remember, I think, forever. He goes underneath the bleeding swerve and starts drinking his blood. Yeah. Literally dripping it into his mouth. That's when the crowd is like, oh my god, that's something I haven't seen before. Yeah. And I tell you what, Swerve's blade job. I Towards the end of the match, it's starting to congeal. And you can see it's on his hairline just how wide a cut he did. Mm. and it's pretty horrendous in all honesty usually they seem to do it like they try to do it like the length of a a quarter but this seems like it's a proper dollar bill length yeah i don't know like what the right amount is but they do some of those classic stapler spots from the death matches of he tries to first put like a piece of paper onto his arm which doesn't stick and it takes two attempts but he gets one of his kids drawings onto his face yeah and that's one of the fascinating things coming out of this match. And it's a sign of how well Hangman, for the most part, is over with the crowd. Someone invades your house. You righteously try to beat them up for your kid and you lose. You lose a fight where you're getting revenge for someone touching your kid. That's not a very virtuous... It's not a great, yeah. not a great look. <laughs> it is weird how he's he's sort of almost in that bracket of AEW roster members who aren't loss proof he's not like quite there like moxley and danielson are in terms of like they can lose big matches and it's fine because it's still them he's nearly there they they were obviously almost immediately setting him up to be involved in some way shape or form with the mjf feud before it went they probably knew already what they were doing with that so they're just lingering stuff for the future they know that's something they want to go back to and also jumping ahead it's how he loses this match, which is a factor. Because he's very protected. Very protected. Yes, and that's the issue where you think the reason they're trying to keep Swerve a heel, the really the only reason that he's a heel still is because he's associated with Nana, and Nana has to interfere in matches as a manager, or at least that's the, the theory of it. And so if you've got a manager, usually you're a heel. But the manager himself is one of the reasons why you're getting big pots as a babyface, because everyone's doing the dance. Yeah. It's a perfect symbiotic relationship of manager and client, I th- I think. Whereas neither are a crutch to the other, but they accentuate the other 
it feels like they need to get the right balance there because it feels almost like Nana's got over with the novelty dance and there's that is a comedic thing. But this whole feud was an invention in order to use Hangman to help get Swerve over. And it was basically Swerve calling his shots, saying, I'm not fooling around anymore. I just spent some time in a casket. This made me reflect and I want to go after someone and that someone is Hangman Page. It's basically like a Randy Orton legend killer, I'm calling you out type of storyline. And Hangman answers the challenge. And first they have just a standard wrestling match. Swerve wins that. Swerve gets too cocky. Tries to proper alpha male him over everything. And takes it to another level. Thinking that he's basically invulnerable. Hangman Page is like, well now you've stepped over a line. Well, Swerve thinks he's a moocher. He thinks he's just given opportunity. And he's like, you're given the opportunities I should have. So it's more than just alpha mailing. It's like that you're stealing from me. Yeah, but it is also like, I've gone into your house. What are you going to do about it? Like, he doesn't think Hangman has it in him, essentially. Yeah. And Hangman's like, oh, I have it in me. (laughs) You're going to have to go to another level that you've never experienced yourself. And Swerve's embracing of it. Like I said, with him suddenly no-selling staple gunshots doing them to himself, walking Hangman back. As I said, that's like a Ric Flair sting spot. Mm. But Hangman Page is the Ric Flair in this situation. That's why there are those moments that are so strange. And then it's like, if you want to ultimately get Swerve over super over, and that's what they wanted, I would would suggest you don't have Nana saving him by pulling Mm. him to the outside. So that means he by default stays on his feet in the last man standing element of the Texas death match. And you don't have Brian Cage come in and help him too. I think what it is, is they're showing how much of a psychopath and how how hard he actually is. And what will launch him into the stratosphere is when he realises, I don't need these crutches. But then it's like, how much is Swerve over because everyone wants to do the dance? And how much you swerve mm. over because of his aura and his ability. And it's a boat and it's a situation of there are both, and until you remove one, we won't know one way or the other. Yeah. And the thing you're gonna remove is Nana's dancing in theory. Because it will go at some point. There's no TikTok dances that are still popular five years later. No one's doing the um what's it called? The the flossing. No one's yeah. flossing anymore. So at some point <laughs> The Harlem shakes in a graveyard somewhere, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. At some point no one's gonna be doing the Nana dance, but I have faith that Swerve Strickland... And that's the weird thing about his entrance. It's like they give the... It used to be like Swerve's trying to do his entrance and Nana's in the background starting to do the moves and it's like taking the focus away from Swerve onto Nana. And even Nigel was pointing that out in commentary. Like Nana's just in business for himself. Yes. I don't know if that's true or if that's fair, but that is a problem that Swerve's trying to go beyond being the novelty. He wants to be a solidified main event who doesn't need gimmicks on top of gimmicks and right now how much of that is swerve's aura which i believe is there and how much of that is nana's dancing which i believe is also a factor Mm. and the way that they structure the entrance this time i think is very interesting where they have nana do his dance with you know backup dancers and then swerve makes his entrance it's like you've had your fun like that's your overture now it's the main events essentially i think it's i think i think there's an extra little bit to it Uh, and i don't know if excalibur made this conclusion or excalibur was briefed to say this but he was like the absolute disrespect so he i think he kayfabe wise i think he gives none other dancers for this specific match so he can go to hangman i ain't sweating you i'm not sweating you at all i don't care what what are you going to do 
I've been in your house. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, but that works for this match. And I do think the way that they structure the entrance, for the most part, works. But you can't, in six months, 12 months' time, you can't keep doing that. And is it going to be that Nana becomes like a babyface mascot, essentially? Because everyone loves the dance and they love cheering. You can easily have it be someone tries to beat up Nana and, you know, Swerve stands up for his friend. Or do you have it be that Nana, jealous, turns on Swerve. Mm. Swerve beats Brian Cage or whoever it is that Nana tries to hire as a gun. And But then you're just repeating the Don Callis, Kenny Omega storyline. Yeah, Hopefully really with the that. babyface actually getting to win a match here. <laughs> <or there. laughs> uh, Before uh, diverticulitis takes over. Well, no one planned for that. No, no. Be crazy if they did. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd have booked everything right up to Brian Cage, Nana pulling Swerve out and Brian Cage then just having a two-minute match with Hangman Page, like, say Swerve had lost at that point, would he be just as over or did he need the win? And, you know, you look at it, it's kind of like how you booked Danielson Ricky Starks, which has a similar kind of structure to this. Danielson beats the shit out of Ricky. Ricky comes back. Ricky shows a fire within him that you wouldn't expect, but ultimately comes up short. Could you have done it exactly like this? Swerve gets the shit-kicking of a lifetime, but he comes out of it better. And maybe you can say the Hangman suffered an injury, which made him ineligible for the Continental Classic. That keeps him off TV for a couple of weeks. And Swerve can say, you won the battle, but I'm here this week, and you are I'm still healthy enough. And then you book him exactly as you did with the Continental Classic. And it would look just... But the thing is, I make all these criticisms, and I think there's validity to each and every one of these criticisms. But Hangman's still over. Swerve is over. The match is going to be remembered for forever. My issues with it, the cinder block, the interference, the weird use of babyface spots for heels, heel spots for babyfaces, but that doesn't seem to be the story they actually are trying to tell. Another thing that was fascinating about it was I was looking at it and, like, Hangman goes off so quickly. Him drinking the blood is within, like, the first five minutes of the match. Oh, it's mental what happens in the first five minutes. And so I was like, is this a sprint? And then I looked at the match time and I'm like, no, this goes on for, like, literally 29 minutes, 55 seconds. So there's 25 minutes more of this. And there are moments where they're just building up everything. and, And it's funny as well, like... How much plunder you use? Danielson has an interesting theory where what he likes to do when he does big weapons matches is maybe just have one weapon and build everything around that. So, like, in one of his famous matches with Morishima, basically a chain gets brought into the match, and that's pretty much the only thing that they use the whole match. Mm. You look at his whipping match with Swerve Strickland, that was just the strap, and Danielson just works everything with the strap and makes Starks, it Starks, sorry. Stark, sorry. And the simplicity of it, like, you look at Mick Foley against Triple H, it was like a chair, the barbed wire, two by four, thumbtacks, and handcuffs. And that's basically ah, it. Thank you. You've, you've triggered something for me. Criticism. There's one of my spots which I think was a bit too egregious. The 450 splash onto the broken glass onto Hangman. That was a little bit like, okay, I get you want to hurt him, but come on now. There's other ways of doing it. It's always that idea of, like, you hurt someone and, like, your level of hatred and desire is so much that you will actually hurt yourself in order to hurt them. So I had no problem with that insofar as, like, what's the craziest thing you can do to someone with got with broken glass on top of them? Yeah. To do a 450 splash onto them. Yeah. But what what's funny is, like, there are moments where they, like, they go through, like, a three or four minute period where pretty much the only weapon of use is, like, the barbed wire steel chair. And you, like, tombstones onto it and moonsaults with it and fall away slams with it and everything and there's that one moment where he hits 
hang on with it and the, there's one loose wire and it just spins around and catches him in the mouth and the yeah. face whilst they were doing that and it just adds to that level of danger to it but there's also like the recklessness it's like one of these days that are they just gonna do have that david arquette nick gage moment where someone turns around at the wrong moment and cuts an artery and you gotta stop it I mean, bloody hell, it was a roar that just stopped because of a misplaced kick to the head. Yeah. That's all it takes, you know, and this is just an extra level on top of it. But at the same time, for all my criticisms of it and my lack of enjoyment of a lot of these things, if I was AEW, I would keep booking death matches at least two a year, probably no more than that, because you got to make yourself stand out from the WWE, and the WWE will never do these kinds of matches. This is true. They really won't. So if you want to say, what can you give an audience that WWE won't? These death matches are one of them. And I agree with you, but my concern with that is this is set a bar, like a high bar. What will they attempt to do to clear it? <laughs> well, to be fair, I don't think there's any spot in this that's more violent than anything that was done in the hangman John Moxley match, which this is the obvious inheritor to. Right down to the finish of the match, which is Moxley gets choked with the chain and instinctively starts tapping for fear. Yeah. Whereas Hangman literally will not give up and is choked into unconsciousness. And I didn't agree with them having him kind of starting to will himself back up at the 8-9 count. You're either out or you're not, I think, in that situation. Mm. And it should have been just a, a more of a total victory, really. With this one, I don't think that there's any spots in this that are more egregious than that one but it's funny what what is it that makes you remember and it's not even spots that are like the most violent but just the most memorable as i always compare it is the paper cut scene in the jackass movie yes but this match is not even that it's hangman drinking someone else's blood so it's like on a hygiene level we're being freaked out not on a violence yeah. level and with the hangman john moxley match it was john mox was it john moxley or was it hangman just digging his fingernails and scratching him across the back oh that's moxie moxie loves a back right yeah that's the spot that i remember from that match and that's nothing you know you could do that to anyone but that's the point and that's why i have an issue with the cinder block because i can just about imagine someone being given a death valley driver onto a cinder block i can't believe a smashed cinder block over someone's that's a wwe spot i remember they literally did that with shane mcmahon against the big show once and the cinder block similarly disintegrated into dust. And that's not what cinder blocks do. Yeah. And everyone <laughs> knows that. <laughs> and that's why problem. you take it slightly out of it. Because we, we could tell that John Moxley was scratching him across the back. Because we could see the scars. We could tell that that little bit of barbed wire lodged into Hangman's mouth. Because of his reaction and the way that it was sticking to him. You've just made me think of The Simpsons. Sir, six cinder blocks have disintegrated. There'll be no hospital then, I'll tell the children. <laughs> well, someone's obviously going to make that for Botchamania now, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird how little we've talked about the actual moves of this match. We just talked about the characters, everything surrounding it, but it's just ultra-violence, and they play off the exhaustion of it. But then there are moments where they don't... Like, it was funny thinking, like, what is the WWE version of this? And obviously it's less blood. But some of these weapons, outside of the barbed wire, they would probably do the cinder block spot because of how dumb it looks. They have, remember. Seth's done it to Moxie when he was Dean Ambrose. There we go. He curb-stomped him into him, remember? <laughs> 
so that's my point. Like, outside of the blood, but the other thing that they do that wouldn't happen in WWE is WWE would milk things. There'd be a lot more pauses between. For example, Swerve brings out that little bit of barbed wire board to set him up with the mini table. And they say, oh, there's something on the... But they don't spend any time waiting for it, showing it to the camera. WWE would, like... CSI Excalibur. I think it says Swerve's house painted on the back. (laughs) No, it says... Betty's house. Betty Symington's. <laughs> oh, you went deep. <laughs> There's another moment where they use some sort of weapon and he's up straight away. There's moments where they just hit like a quick flurry of moves onto it. Like he does the powerbomb onto the, onto the bomb and then he does a tombstone onto it. Or something along those lines. Just everything gets done suddenly. There are moments where they just suddenly do everything super quick. And they don't play it up. And it feels like that's something where you should be going into the finish or something. Board bit, it, like, it's how many moves they do straight away onto the barbed wire. Yeah. Dead eye, power bombs, just like all within like 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he like Swerve pours the glass onto him and, and he's up for a 450 splash immediately. And the crowd can't quite tell what it is because they know it's not thumbtack. But it's just like black thing. You can tell when there's a moment because they cut to a camera shot that's like close up on this broken glass on his back, and it's obviously the crowd has looked to the Tron up on the entranceway, and they've seen that it's glass. So then they get it, and almost immediately after that, swerves halfway through a 450 splash onto it. Yeah, follows up with a JML driver. Like there's no slow build up to that. And like I said, that whole sequence WWE would have built up to that. I mean, they wouldn't have had glass, but whatever it is that they would have done. That whole segment that took like twenty seconds in WWE land, like that and the and the ball with Swerve's hash written on it, that whole thing cumulatively take up like a minute in this match. WWE that would have been five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. And you're right. whether or not that's a valid criticism or like WWE's way is the right way or this way is the right way is up to your personal preferences. And like I said, AEW is providing something in this match, both in what they're doing and the pace in which they're doing it. That is a different philosophy to how WWE will book their equivalent of this match. Yeah. You're right. They don't let things breathe. Like, the the whole WWE style is like, oh, cinema. They're not going for cinema. They're going for, like, car crash, ultra-violent, like, like, go, go. It's like more MTV than it is, like, a Scorsese film. A quick aside, because I don't say it, that there'll be an earworm in my brain. It didn't mean to. It's not their fault. But JML Driver took me out of it a little bit. Purely because my mum loved buying things from JML growing up. So I just thought, oh, what? He's got a torch with like 100,000 candles worth of power. He's going he's gonna to shine it in Hangman's eyes and then put some Tupperware on him. I don't know. Yeah, I think you'd rather use 100,000 candles, to be honest with you. Lit. <laughs> See, then you'd have to go WWE style because he's going to have to stay down a while whilst you're running along. One... To the, oh, the first one's gone out. <laughs> ah, nuts to this. <laughs> no, no, get the flamethrower. <laughs> Prince Nana rolling a barrel of napalm down the ramp. <laughs> I guess that is the option now, I suppose. Like, do they take another crack at doing the exploding match? But just be confident that they have it i'll tell you what you could do that at wembley actually if you put a little bit more distance from the front row that would be a hell of a place to do it have you tried to get past british health and safety (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's pyro at the end of the day they're not literally saying we're gonna set this guy on fire it might happen but it probably won't (laughs) 
I just want to watch the person at Brent Council and gets that file. Oh, you want to do what? (laughs) Blow up where Jeff Hurst scored that trick. I don't think so. (laughs) But they they did do some of the stalling and and the lying around because it goes 29 minutes, 55 seconds. Yeah. So they do it, except when they don't do it. (laughs) And the weird moments that they choose to not do it, I guess it's just like vary up the pace because maybe that's that's the thing with wwe matches you know how the pace you know the monotony monotony is maybe a harsh way to put it but you kind of know what the flow of every one of these matches are them trying to change it up going backwards and forwards doing the long periods of double downs and and milking certain spots but then other times just going bam 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 but those are the ones that feel like they should lead to the finish almost the other thing that bothers me about what these people do you know my irks. I decided this is one of my pet peeves now. Okay. And I'll give you one outside of wrestling before I get to one inside of wrestling. So this is my new pet peeve outside of life. First, it's going to make me sound like one end of the spectrum, but it's the other end of the spectrum. People who are still wearing face masks, like on buses, on trains or whatever, but they're wearing them with underneath the nose. So it's like... On one end, you're ultra-vigilant, even more so than most people are. And I actually get that. To be honest, at airports, we should probably always be wearing face masks. On trains and in lifts, we probably should always be wearing face masks all year round. One thing that I always forget whenever I fly is how dirty I feel getting <laughs> off the plane. And it always... Like, yeah, oh, the... but that's got nothing to do with the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, it was just turbulence, all right, now. No, but seriously, I, the first thing, any time I fly, first thing I do whenever I get to my accommodation, shower, because I like I feel disgusting after being on that plane. Just canned air, just... Ugh. So that's my point, is I think you're probably right in that regard. But if you're that vigilant already, how the fuck do you still not know how to wear a fucking face mask? It's redundant. It's a it's a one one draw. <laughs> People like the appearance of feeling safe, or or they're wearing it like a maga hat. Almost. No, I don't think it's that because it's not a defiance. It's a genuine. They're still worried about a pandemic, but they haven't bothered to find out how to wear a face mask, or they know how they're supposed to wear a face mask. But then, if you're that annoyed at what it does to your nose, then why are you bothering with it on the mouth? I understand why you're doing it. But you're doing it wrong. Do you want to argue with it? Would you want to play chess with a pigeon, though? That's the thing with things like this. So what I'm getting to is this. You have barbed wire. You have blood drinking. You have cinder blocks. You have barbed wire wrapped around steel chairs. What are the crowd chanting for and going apeshit for? A fucking regular table. They're enshrined, man. I swear to God, if I ever ran a promotion... I would not do a table spot for like three years. Because every match I get the fucking we want tables. It's like what drives me crazy about the war game. Like I was saying, like WWE when they do their war games matches, it's so clearly structured and it's always the going under the ring for plunder. And everyone's doing it. Why doesn't someone just go under the ring and just sweep everything? Why didn't Hangman Page just check to see, well, what swerve got under here so I can <laughs> stop that crackling straight away? It just drives me up the fucking wall. And to be fair to them, they said something that made me realise what we're going to get in the next 
deathmatch. Because even they don't seem to realise, why are we going crazy for a table? Someone's literally just already gone through a barbed wire board. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing! He's crashed through some wood! It's the, it's the worst thing! Because <laughs> it's barbed wire! So then I did hear them say, we want fire. Yeah. So that's what we're getting next time. Wow. Again, now we have the benefit of hindsight. We did. Christian versus Adam Copeland. We did get a flaming table spot. Oh, did they do that? Uh, this is how far behind I am. We've already yeah. missed, I've already missed it. Yeah. Uh, Adam Copeland spears Nick Wayne for a flaming table. Again, match. like, why are you doing that with someone who's not even in the match? <laughs> it worked in the structure of the match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It well, did. I haven't watched it yet, obviously, so I can't yeah. But the problem they had is they had to stall because the fire went out for getting the spot ready. So someone had to re- so, uh, Adam had to relight the table. So yeah, have fire, but you, people forget how clunky fire is. And people mocked Cody relentlessly for that Spanish fly because it was stupid. God, yeah, because they've done the flaming table already, haven't they? Yeah. Fuck's sake. Well, the fact that I forgot about that. Exactly. <laughs> Look, the Adam Copeland one, it was a callback, and he wore the same jacket he wore when he fought Mick Foley at WrestleMania. Well, we'll get into that as well in a later episode. But... Yeah. <laughs> That's a to be continued. The Cody one was such throwaway, like, Lorcan didn't know, forgot it existed until 15 seconds ago. What does that tell you? But, as I've said, people know that that can happen at AEW, and they know that probably won't happen at WWE, so I get the logic. And ultimately, as I've said, I point out all these continuity errors, I point out all these issues, but it's like trying to criticise a film that did huge at the box office, and then is mostly critically adored, and, and wins awards. It's like probably for the next few years, someone who's like, I got these issues with Oppenheimer. It's just not, there's no point to it, really. And I no. mean valid criticisms, not usual fucking just thinking a little political. Why did why didn't they show the Japanese people getting hit by the bomb? I was like, well, why didn't they show Pearl Harbor? You know, what? it's not that. Uh, like, like, you'll know, because obviously you're more up on like the film scene. Is that a legit criticism? I've seen said? that criticism online, yeah. Oh, piss off. The, other, the last thing that pissed me off as well, and it's not that's not AEW's fault, that's society's fault. How many people that are watching it have just got their phones on? It's like, just fucking watch the replay that's better film than your camera phone will be. It'll be in the right mode, not your portrait shot of a fucking... <laughs> the only videos I took at all in were entrances. I took a couple of things for some entrances. I didn't, I didn't film any matches. Yeah, I'm like yeah. you. I'm like, oh, I you're right. But that's a societal thing. That goes far beyond the sphere of wrestling. And we can't fix that <laughs> in, 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 our, in, the, in the time we have here. Every live event needs to do the thing that Chris Rock did. Give us your phone, put it in this bag. Yep. <laughs> oh, not just Chris Rock. Other people have done it as well. Yeah, but I experienced that for Chris Rock. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> this story's better because it has me in it. <laughs> Well, we've gone all over the place with this one. I just want to get some... Like I said, like my criticisms are valid, but everyone came out bigger. It's a match everyone's going to remember for ages. Meltzer gave it five stars, which he basically next to never does with death matches. Mm. Swerve is a bigger star than he ever was. Hangman didn't look any worse. People love the match. It's not that I'm pissing against the whim, because I respected and admired it, and it was an experience. Whether it's an experience I enjoyed or not is not necessarily important, but like... You don't enjoy Schindler's List. (laughs) I was not ready for that. (laughs) Oh, my Christ. Please finish. 
finish. Please finish. Save this is a Schindler's list of wrestling matches. I don't know where you go with it. <laughs> oh, my, please have a point. <laughs> no, that's my point. I guess my point is enjoyment's not necessarily everything. You want experiences. For the most part, the experience I want to experience in wrestling is enjoyment, though. So this is not something I've sought. You know, I haven't been seeking out GCW matches. And, you know, I watched the King of the Death match video when I was a kid because that's what everyone who was interested in wrestling wanted to We see. all went through that 14-year-old boy face. One of my favorite matches is Mick Foley against Triple H at 2000 Royal Rumble. But that was more... I mean, you look in comparison, the level of devastation. I mean, except for a couple of spots, that barbed wire board, you can tell when it was real barbed wire and when it wasn't. Mm. In hindsight, but you, you know, in the moment, I didn't get it. And it doesn't lessen it for me. I, I really, really hope that everyone was... The swerve, swerve needed to have multiple blood tests for them to have done that. And they still shouldn't have done it. But no one's going to forget it. It sets a dangerous precedent where people who are less prepared and less intelligent uh, in terms of like checking these sorts of things will probably try and ape. But kids, don't try this at home. Or in the indies if you don't have blood tests. Yeah, it is like that idea of Adam Page extracting something from Swerve Strickland because he, because of how far he went. We are bound together forever, I think, was his line after the, uh, in the Dynamite afterwards. So there's a poetry to that, I suppose. But poetry sh- shouldn't usually be checked for hepatitis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, Coleridge went around a bit. Aye. <laughs> and it all got a bit opium-y at one point. <laughs> well, just don't do some shared needles in that case. <laughs> or shared pipes, I guess, back then. Yeah. Anyway, I, I just want to close out with because I I feel it'd be remiss if I didn't say this. My, like my final thought: okay. Prince Nana's performance, bell to bell. I don't know. I think for his character, for who he is in Swerve's world, where oh, it's the goofy guy who dances, but he has uses. It's obviously it's his henchman, not Swerve's. It's his henchman. Because that was where the original connection came from. That helps. It's him that cuts the duct tape off of Swerve's hands. It's him that pulls Swerve to make sure he beats the count. But it's also him who gets in the comedic moments where he dances. He, he begs through the medium of dance. <laughs> and then, and Hangman has none of it. <laughs> that was my final note, actually, that I f- almost forgot to say. The match ends with a 10 count. Swerve does that thing you do very often in last man standing matches where the winner immediately collapses because... They didn't have anything left. And then he kind of crawls on top of Hangman Page and walks away. You know, I think that's very significant that you had. And having him have that moment on his own. That he he was the one that walked out of this match. For everything that went the people went through, he could still walk at the end of it. Admittedly, yeah, Nana did the pulling him out at that point. And I was going to say, I noticed Nana do that earlier on in the match. And I was wondering if that was a case of him screwing up because he was like, did he think this was the spot he was supposed to do it in? Mm. And Swerve had to kind of, not kick him away, but he got up of his own accord at that point. And there's just a little moment where he's like stamping him on the back. But to be fair to Nana, for the most part, he didn't try to hog the spotlight. He did a few who's house, Swerve's house. 
Nana's the point that's tipping this over the edge at some stage, and it's like, is it the wrong kind of heat that he's getting? And if it's like, how annoying would it be for everyone involved if you just take away some guy doing a little dance and Swerve, it turns out, isn't as over as we thought he was, despite everything that he puts him through in this match. But I have faith in Swerve as a wrestler and as a man who always... I remember seeing him when he was just guy on the indie scenes in MLW, and he was someone that they like pushed as their top sort of star, and he was like, this man just has it. He is him, to quote Carmelo Hayes. He gets it from the entrance on. And again, another one of those things of people saying, oh, he was mismanaged, misbooked. Well, not every moment is the point to pull the trigger on everyone. Yeah. And he was fine in Swerving Our Glory. And yeah, there was a moment where it was like, oh, they should be going to the acclaimed over Swerving Our Glory. They should have called an audible because everyone knows what that means and everyone knows that that happens all the time and it doesn't. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's been in there a while. <laughs> So it's like, and it's like with Ricky Starks, yeah, we could always sell the, tell that Ricky Starks at least had something in him for it, but it's okay for a little period of time for him to not come out on top, if you've got a plan, and they had that plan from the moment that he called out Hangman Page, and they've done it pretty much, not perfectly, but they've done it very well ever since then, and Swerve is going to main event a pay-per-view challenging for the AEW world title in 2024, probably. I want it. I'll tell you what I also want. I want him to get his final countdown moment so that, like, have the dancers do the swerve dance so that people can get that out of their system. And then the music stops and Shaka Khan's Ain't Nobody starts playing and he gets his indie entrance music. If just for one match, I want him to come out to Shaka Khan in AEW, just like we got two instances of Danielson getting to come out to the final countdown. I, I don't want to put ourselves over. But 80,000 people singing that at Wembley would be amazing. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be against it. It won't be 80,000. Let's get that. <laughs> Let's hope Swerve doesn't get that tattooed. <laughs> <laughs> we all make mistakes. But the last, actually, the last point I do want to make is all this brutality, all this stuff that genuinely these guys put them through, the blood, the level of blood on this is like a level that I've rarely seen. Like, those are two, even Hangman Page's blood, like on the mood to scale, they're right up there cumulatively that might be the bloodiest match so far and in this lineage of death matches we've had so far omega mox mox page page swerve and then swerve whatever it's gonna be after that and i know there have been some death matches in between let's never forget jericho gage come on guys let's never forget that They do all that what they put themselves through and what are the crowd doing at the final bell they're doing a little silly dance it's, you know, it's Mick Foley says, 15 years of going through tables, barbed wire, fire, and nothing gets a crowd going crazier than when I pull a sock out of my trousers. Don't question it, it's working at the end of the day. Well, then it's one of those things of, do we have to do this stuff, or could we have just stuck with the dance? Yes, because in this case, yes, because you want him to be more than just that. He, he's not he's not at Foley level yet. Foley had to go through all of that to get to a point where he could get the sock over. I don't know if he did. I genuinely don't know if he did. I think it's a case that you can get a silly gimmick over, but then it's a case of what can you bring to matches. You don't want to be typecast by that silly gimmick, do you? There's a reason that Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, got so over with the yes chance, but he can back them up in the ring, whereas maybe your LA Knights can get over so far 
but maybe there is that ceiling that they can't quite reach with the in-ring that has to be an aspect to it. I don't know. We don't know yet with LA Knight. So let's hold off. We're probably not going to get to discuss LA Knight for Meltzer five-star matches anytime in the near future, but you never fucking know. <laughs> As you say, the Lars Sullivan factor, I think, was something you messaged to me at some point. I have, point. actually, yeah. So... Oh, it was when we were talking about a match which nearly got five stars, yeah. which happened recently. Or the Johnny Ace continuum. Yeah. <laughs> What's he done? <laughs> Well, two five-star matches in the eyes of Dave well, Meltzer. There you go. When, back when that, back when it meant something. <laughs> <laughs> back when a GC, that's Mark Corrigan's video CV. <laughs> but anyway, I wait, think wait, we, wait, 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 yeah, wait, 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 because I know you said you weren't going to give a rating. No, I am. Okay, five. Because it's a style of wrestling, and we talked about this when we talked about Samoa Joe Necro Butcher, which was just like, I feel like. <sighs> A sloppy sort of brawl thing. This isn't sloppy. It's like... Imagine a Michael Bay movie, but good. Well, you've just imagined pain and gain there, Simon. <laughs> I really liked pain and gain, actually. So so I'm saying this is a Schindler's List of wrestling. You're saying this is the pain and gain of wrestling. Ironically, a movie with The Rock in it. <laughs> Do you know how uh, Silver Vision used to sell DVDs, which were two pay-per-views together? Yeah. Uh, they called it Double Vision. What a double feature this was. <laughs> <laughs> Which order do you show them in? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I feel you use pain and gain as aftercare. That's the way I view that lineup. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's not sugar on that powder. <laughs> what kind of dessert is this? It's a Miami dessert. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, Simon, if people have any suggestions of dessert servings you can have both in food or audio form or wrestling form, remember this is mid-January, so come on, everything goes at this point. How can they do so? People can get in touch with me on Twitter. I am so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of hours it's going to take me to get over the fact that Lorcan's managed to get Schindler's List into this discussion. My name is Lorcan Munnell, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N, as in A negative, which is one of the blood types you get with a blood test that I fucking hope they did. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox, if you put at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lntyspod at gmail.com. lntyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. For the next episode, we're back to match of the week. And because, as we said, at this time of it coming out, assuming no five stars in the interim and we could get there, there's a big event in the wrestling calendar that's already happened in America. It's coming to the UK soon. So in that meat of the sandwich in between, we thought we'd watch a match that's related to it. Simon, what is the match and who are the participants? It is a six-man tag team match for the World Six-Man Tag Team Championships held within the World Class Championship Wrestling Promotion. It's a match that takes place on August in August 1983, I do not have the exact date. Uh, you unprofessional son of a bitch. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> uh, it is the Fabulish Freebirds. So that is Buddy Roberts, Terry Gordy, and Michael P.S. Hayes. And it's the Von Erichs, and it's the combination of David, Kevin, and Kerry Von Erich. But until then, there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a bloody good five-star time. Until the next time. <laughs>